Greetings and welcome to Scholarish. My name is Quinn Weinzaffel, and here we discuss the road to reason for the next generation. Now, it's been several months since episode three aired, and I must admit that it aired to rave reviews. Many friends and family and onlookers really liked the interview style, and many have continued to listen weeks after the last episode aired. The project itself, the project being this entire podcast, has been rather delayed, both for two reasons. The first, I have not had the equipping to handle many of the topics that I wish I could cover. I had an entire episode planned with weeks of preparation and research on uh, the theory of the mind and the concept of ideas that dance around in all of our heads. And it was going to be really good, but I found that it was too high and esoteric. I found that it wasn't practical enough. I didn't think it was going to help anyone. It wasn't even helping me work through some of the things that I was learning. So I scrapped the idea and was just waiting around to see if this whole project would be a flash in the pan or something that would continue on. And today I want to thank my fiance. She's the one who's inspired this next episode, the depth of a good teacher. You see, we talk often about what it means to be good learners, how deep our teaching is, how much can we ingest and soak up, whether in the spiritual sense, sitting under pastors and theologians and teachers in the classrooms or in other areas of our life. How do we understand that we're reasoning well? What is the depth of our knowledge? What's good philosophy? A lot of these concepts are lost on us younger people. And I think that there is a small, simple conversation that I'd like to have tonight that clarifies that. I'll be very clear. In essence, this is a letter to my fiance, a public one that I hope that other people can also partake in. If anything, it's a one-sided continuance of a conversation we have repeatedly. But I think that this is the type of conversation that needs to happen continuously in our lives as we continuously refine the way we think about the world and the way we think about thinking about the world. Now, before you get overly confused, let me simplify. Really what we're discussing here is epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. And I hopefully will not use any two terms that are lofty or textbook-ish. Instead, I want to keep things very bare bones and simple and give you a really good reason of why we should think about reasoning. The simple is you do so every day. Every time that you have to make a decision, whether it about be about the car you buy or it be about the church that you attend, we are reasoning constantly what is right and good in the world. Take a walk in nature and think about thinking. In fact, if you strip the distractions from your lives and ignore the entertainment machine that is trying to envelop you, you will have to ask yourself the deep truths about the world, such as, what is goodness? Is my family loving? Am I supposed to be in my job? And how you think about these things is really important. If anything, 
philosophy and theology aren't as high and lofty as we would make them out to be. They're incredibly practical, and they have a major impact in the way we think about things. So, obviously, if thinking is important, how do we know that we're thinking deeply? Well, I would like to give you a very simple three-step approach, and it comes from discussing um, two concepts. This episode should be short. It should only be about 10 minutes, so hopefully I can get through this rather quickly. The first thing I like to discuss is what I would call the hierarchy of reasoning. And it starts at the bottom. I'm going to make the strong affirmation that absolute truth exists. Yes, that is an absolute statement. I can say this because it has been generally revealed through reason and logic and the fact that a rock is a rock, that absolute truth is absolutely true. And that you can find absolute truth out in the world and in nature. You can know what a lie is, absolutely, because it is a twisting of the truth. The concept of truth also denotes a truth giver. There has to be something that is set in stone. This kind of boils down to a lot of existential thought that happened in the latter centuries, but I would like to simplify the entire concept of absolute truth to the simple notion that there is a very base presuppositions about the world that are unchangeable. Gravity is an absolute construct, the idea of goodness and evil are not some vague ideas, but actually indicate real concepts that are derivatives of truth. So this is the bottom of the reasoning hierarchy. This is the building blocks through which we play. We're not playing with putty. We're playing with Legos in a sense when we talk about the world. We're not having vague notions of what is right and wrong. We're really talking about, is the sky blue? And the answer is yes, absolute truth has a drastic impact on our presuppositions. You can point to things and say, observably, that is correct or incorrect. If anything, this is the basis of the entire scientific method, validating observable inferences. This is what we would consider general revelation. And it's also the truth that reason and logic do exist. On the hierarchy of reason, the second tier is virtue. So from our absolute truths, we create virtues. Plato had four virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. Aristotle had 12 virtues. I won't mention them here, but you can look them up. And then he had some other derivative virtues. But the virtue that I want to highlight is the Christian virtue that comes from St. Augustine in the third century, and that is of love. In essence, all virtues have an underpinning characteristic of love. And we can get this from the absolute truth of the way the world works. It works on an ordered system and structure. Look around in nature and go for a walk and you'll hear birds buzzing and bees buzzing and birds chirping, apologies. But there's a, a pattern and a beautiful order to it. So in essence, our building blocks of absolute truth build up us into virtuous ideas. And how these virtues play out, it creates the top tier, the tier of ethics. Ethics is simply the way virtues play out in society. There are those who are on different sides of political issues that have different virtues because they have different interpretations of absolute truth. 
Some of them are absolutely wrong because they're denying absolute truth. But in essence, what we're dealing with in our public forums is people with different virtues. There are different types of people who believe that love is fundamentally different because they have different absolute truths. If anything, they have perverted the truth and substituted what they can see for what they believe. This is a lot that can go into this, and it's really down to secular humanism, but I want to keep it as simple as possible. The bottom building blocks of reasoning are absolute truth. The next tier is the virtues that we hold near and dear. And then the last tier is ethics, how those virtues influence our daily lives. And from this, we can come up with all of our thoughts about the world. And this is where we come into the marketplace of ideas. This is my second overarching point. Not all ideas are created equally. Again, they all revolve around the building blocks of truth, the virtues that represent them, and then the way those virtues play out in the world. There are four types of people that participate in the marketplace of ideas. There are buyers, individuals who weigh ideas and then adopt or amend them. There are sellers, individuals who propagate ideas. There are thieves, individuals who steal or pervert ideas. We can call them thieves or fools. And then police, individuals who control ideas. You see, in the marketplace of ideas, everything is permissible. You can advocate for capitalism or communism equally, and it's up to buyers to adopt and amend them. But there has to be some sort of limit. For instance, we can't just say you can only buy this idea in the marketplace of ideas. You have to have the ability to buy all ideas and evaluate them equally. However, if you let an idea run so rampant that it tramples other ideas, you end up with a very offset system. For instance, if nihilism, the idea that everything is meaningless and everything doesn't matter, became the dominant force in our society, there is nothing to stop people from randomly killing other people, and that would be socially permissible under nihilism. Obviously, that needs to be curtailed, so we can't just allow one ideology, especially the dangerous ones, to dominate the marketplace. We have to have people who are wise enough to evaluate, adopt, people who are honest in their selling of ideas, and then we have to punish people who would pervert or misrepresent ideas. The thieves in our society are everywhere. I'm not going to go into too much more on that, but all ideas are okay to discuss, but not all ideas are equal. So this comes down to teaching. What is deep teaching and deep thinking? See, the problem with thinking is that it's hard, really hard. It is incredibly difficult to have honest conversations with yourself about the observable world around you. And it's even harder to reason with yourself the weight of two different ideas. It takes an incredible amount of mental effort and willpower to evaluate one virtue against another virtue, and then to correlate these two competing virtues into one consistent worldview. But you have to do it. You can't just adopt foolishly someone else's worldview. You have to be wise enough to discern the truth for yourself. 
So the problem with teaching is that there are, by and large, only three types of teachers. There are Gnostic teachers, people who propagate the idea that there is hidden knowledge. There are agnostic teachers, the idea that there is no hidden knowledge and they deny the ability to perceive absolute truth in themselves. They shrug their shoulders, throw up their hands and say, there is no hope for the truth. And then there are teachers who are honest, who kind of sit in the middle ground, who think, no, all ideas can be discussed, but not all ideas are created equal. There's a one more thing I like to mention about this, and it comes from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, in his sermon on the salvation and sanctification, he says kind of an incredible line, and, I, and I'll paraphrase him briefly here. Simply put, he says that he could preach um, for eons, for, for years, and still have people love him, just completely adopt what he's saying. But if he looked at them in the face and said that truth is simple, they would buck and hate him forever. You see, the problem with the idea of deep teaching is that it infers that there is some super hidden bottom tier knowledge at the very bottom of the world, that if we can only extract, it'll give us all things for a good and ethical life. This is the height of Gnostic ideas, and it's completely wrong. Truth is revealed in two ways. I've already discussed one of them, generally speaking, but there's also special revelation. There's special things that have happened in human history in which we have revealed to us the way the world works. So you have both a general revelation of the goodness of the world and of God, and then you have a special revelation. And those two are in constant interplay with each other. You cannot have general revelation without special revelation, and you cannot have special revelation without general revelation. So those are two really specific ideas. So where does that leave us today? Well, it leaves us with this idea. We should not place our interests in how deep our knowledge is. We should focus on how true it is. If you would pardon my embrace of the negative, this means that we should reject the notion that being deep is somehow ethical or righteous, and instead embrace the clarity that is given in the grace of general revelation, the way the world works, and the gift of special revelation. Teachers that exemplify this say things that are simple and true, and they weave them together beautifully with what is presented in scripture. Actively, we should participate in the marketplace of ideas, but here's the key, don't be a thief. If you look into a worldview and you think, oh, this is great, I'll just adopt all of this, but you don't think of it for yourself, you're not actually thinking, and you're not living your own life, you're living the life of somebody else. So these are not good ideas. Don't be a thief. Finally, the quest for truth rejects any compromises. We cannot simply say, shrug our shoulders and we'll go home and it'll all be okay. We have to constantly, daily, be recommitting ourselves to pursuing the truth. The capital T truth. The way the world actually works. 
deep teaching is not some super hidden flash in the pan, flashy preacher or speaker or teacher. Deep teaching is the simple truths of the way the world plays out, all to the glory of its creator. Deep teaching is the simplest teaching done with the most truth. And I believe that if we, as the younger generation, embraced this idea that deep knowledge is no match to true knowledge, we would have a far better time in the marketplace of ideas, evaluating which ideas are better. Because we can't say which ideas are more complicated, therefore they're better. We have to say which ideas are better because they reflect the truth of God the most both in the way he has revealed himself generally and in the way he has revealed himself specially. And we must be okay with selling our ideas and defending them adamantly. We don't just want to be the people who are ingesting. We also have to be people who are practicing. This is really important. So that was a short 17-minute discussion on truth, and I hope that it helps you in your quest for reason. I know that that might seem high and lofty, but I believe that it has some very practical implications in our daily lives. And I hope that you find it equally as useful when it comes to evaluating ideas at their absolute truth level, at the way they create the values in our lives, and the way those values play out in the political theater of our world. My name is Quinn Weinzeffel, and you listen to Scholarish. I hope you have a great week, and that these episodes are helpful for times to come. Goodbye.